Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's the Issue, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Uh, I am your host, Matt Loon, and uh, joining me as always uh, is Mr. Wes Messer. Wes, how are you doing this evening? Not too bad. How are you about yourself, Matt? Because you you right now are running off of a Frankenstein net connection. Yeah, well, we've had a few. Uh, I think I feel like every episode we start by me saying I've had some technical difficulties, but I've had some technical difficulties, and um, yeah, my my laptop is running through various adapters to try and get the internet to work, and it seems it seems fine. It seems to be working okay at the moment. So That's I'm, uh, I'm just gonna kind of cap my uh, not gonna cap the chickens or whatever the phrase is. Um, but anyway, yeah. I- yeah, luckily it's and it's funny. Like my laptop's been a little, it's been mostly stable today, like past couple days. But every once in a while, my laptop decides, yeah, I'm gonna shut down randomly. I think there either some strays, clean like some massive cleaning needs to be done in there because I cleaned it once and it worked fine, uh, right. and then it acted up again. Uh, so yeah. I need to. I'm like going well. Guess I'll have to do a massive cleaning on this soon because that's just bonkers weird. But I. So, Matt. So we so we were just recording yesterday, yes. last night, but then Matt, your but your internet was basically not having yeah. it and basically being crotchety and cranky. Deciding that. But so so this is so we're gonna try to since we're gonna take this very weirdly because recently I saw a video that Kim Justice did on YouTube called "The Rise and Fall of Mister Blonde." <laughs> yeah. I. I, I, ne- I had never seen Mr. Blobby until last night. I can't believe you've never... You, so, had you heard of him? Well, no. Oh, wow. So this the, is all thing, brand new information. We never... We never got Mr. Blobby here in America. We never... I never looked up Mr. Blobby. Never really comes up in anything major in online media. He's just one of these yeah. weird things that, that, like, everyone prefers to forget in, like, a weird fever dream, like... Like everyone was under a drug haze, and everyone was like, "Well, Mr. Blobby, okay, he happened. It was a thing, yeah. giant." So, okay, so, so straight. The, the version is that because believe me, I got yelled at on Twitter by a few people reminding them. Oh <laughs> yeah, because you actually introduced. I, it. I got many a yell. Yeah, because I, I feel like, like he's very mimetic. I feel like he kind of lives in the in the subconscious, uh, like the group subconscious of the world, and when people like raise his name he ends up kind of it gives him a bit more life almost so i feel like he's um he's come back to life a little bit because of your your love of uh like fast your fascination with mr Bobby. it's it's so weirdly fascinating because it's like noel edmonds came up with this thing for like be a prank yeah to be a complete gag to be like for these gotcha segments, and they were like, "Yeah, this is to be a joke," and it'll be as a, and it's, and then, and then realize kids love the darn thing. Yeah. And it's like, wait, well, like, kids love this. Yeah, for 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 people who like, if if you're listening, have you no idea what we're talking about? Go look up the Kim Justice on Kim Justice on YouTube has uh, like, I, 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 this is new information for me, but Kim Justice did a video on Mr. Blobby, the rise and fall of Mr. Blobby, and Kim Justice has done. Uh, like what looks like hundreds of awesome videos that I'm going to like devote hours of my life um, to looking up. But Mr. Blobby basically was a, um, it's so weird to be describing him. He's basically, he was this mascot for Saturday night television in the UK um, in the mid nineties. And uh, he lasted like about a year, maybe, maybe like 18 months to two years, like as like, as a, a huge phenomenon in the UK. And it's one of those things that, like people from other countries looking on and go, what the hell was that about? And weirdly, 
people <laughs> like people alive now like i look back on it i have like a weird when you mentioned mr blobbin when i started watching that video which is a really really good video and it describes the rise and fall in a perfect like a much better way than we would be able to and um, but i've got a weird kind of nostalgia for him because i remember getting bought the the single of his like because he had a christmas number one single um which um was this huge huge selling thing everyone had it basically and i and i had it bought for me on cassette when i was you know 1994 so i would have been 11 and it was the same year that i got a game boy so i got a game boy with tetris and dr mario and i remember playing tetris while listening to this mr blobby single on my headphones like this kind of walkman that i had and so like my earliest memories whenever i think of game whenever no whenever whenever i think of mr blobby i think of game boy and i think of like tetris and dr mario so i'm giving (laughs) i'm giving him a better memory than he deserves i think almost um but it is it's so weird hearing you talk about it because it's like this brand new thing that you've just discovered and it's it's terrifying and (laughs) like kind of awe-inspiring all at the same time (laughs) It, it, and, by, and by the way, Kim Jesses, I've been following her videos for a long time now. Mm. Um, she's so that, and she does, and her, by the way, her British game, she's done, she did an entire series of videos on British gaming. Oh, wow. That British games, British games, uh, like British video game shows, that is amazing. She did like something on Games Master and, and uh, everything. Like it cool, was cool, like, yeah. she's hyper comprehensive, unreal. But, the rise and fall of Mr. Blobby, just she snuck that in there. All that, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, then I, and I watched it. And I watched this early in the morning. So me, like, just kind of waking up and watching this on my phone. Like, ah, I don't want. I'll watch it on my phone. Like, and then it's, and then and then because she, all she described it was is like, see, she there's this Mr. Blobby, and all he says is Blobby. Yeah, yeah. And it's like okay, because she didn't put a clip of it. She didn't put any clips, like voice clips, to avoid cop or. And it's like, so she, she basically put it on there. I'm like, okay, okay. So that's when I start hunting for clips. Because I'm like, okay, I want to hear what this thing sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I regret that. Because <laughs> like, it's like, blobby, blobby, blobby. Yeah. Blobby, 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 did, blobby, did you hear the song blobby, blobby. as well? Did you listen to the song? Oh, I listened to the song. <laughs> I listened to the song. Oh, what did you I, think? I, <gasps> what? Were you all on collective drugs or something? Yeah. Did, 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 did like Mr. Blobby's pink and yellow like design like reflect like drugs across England? Because this thing was in was was like it had like a run. It like, had like a year. He said like about a year run, and then you find yeah. like at least had like one or two years of because I heard the story of a guy at a this guy is a Mr. Blobby went to a, to a, a child's birthday party, a six year old's birthday party, mm-hmm. knocked over the cake. And the girl's dad, like, punched the living crap out of Mr. Blobby. (laughs) Yeah, which, like, again, if people don't understand, it's it's a guy in a costume. Like, he's basically like a a sports mascot, but he kind of, he was introduced as part of a a bit of a prank show or, like, a a prank show within a show. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. That's what I've read on, like, gotcha. Yeah, and so, like, Noel Edmonds would get celebrities and, like, trick them into thinking they're doing something, like, they're, they're kind of presenting a brand new show when in actual fact they're, it's all fake and he's just kind of giving them the worst experience of their life kind of thing, um, which is something that still exists today. And I feel as though this is, like, 
if Blobby's going to do anything for you, it's going to open up a, like two weird UK based doors that I don't know whether you're like kind of you're ready to go down because the first one is like weird Saturday night television because Saturday night TV in the UK is like it's it's got a little more mediocre these days but there's still like there's a show called saturday night takeaway which is very much like a spiritual successor to noel's house party there's no there's no weird blobby mascot but they do a bit of a they do a prank segment on celebrities they give away um they give away like stuff to members of the public they involve the audience and and they have loads of celebrities on and guest appearances and stuff and that's all what noel edmonds did so it's kind of a like it's very much in the same kind of vein of that, like like kind of light entertainment kind of thing. Um, and the second door that it opens for you is Christmas number ones, because I don't really think America has Christmas number ones. Does it like whatever? No. Yeah, the the number one single at Christmas is a big well it used to be a massive deal in the UK, like huge huge thing. And I think that almost has like a bit of a a bit of a weird like we talk about like Mr. Blobby having this weird kind of voodoo effect on people. I feel as though Christmas number one does the same thing because if you look up, like, you know, you go on a bit of an internet journey and try and find, like, UK Christmas number ones, you'll find some weird and, like, so surreal things that are, like... Why is this? Why is this a thing? Like, and there have been like, there's, there's, there's a couple of like kind of weird categories for it. Like, the first category is genuine pop songs that are trying to be Christmas number one. So they'll either be kind of Christmassy themed, or they'll be like, um, like kind of ballady. Like, so it kind of a bit of a bittersweet ballad romance kind of theme. And like the other theme is like celebrities doing stuff. So you'll get like sports stars, like you get like football teams. Whole football teams have done Christmas number one singles, and like they can't sing for shit because they they're football they're football players. <laughs> but it's like it's a gimmicky okay. thing that they'll do. And then the the other one is. Um, It'll be like uh, comedy, so they'll have like so. Mr. Blobby was very much like in that vein, but then there was also like Bo Selector, which was like a different comedy, a comedy show that released the Christmas number one, and it's almost like they, they, they're taking they're taking the Mickey or they're like poking fun at the whole idea of a Christmas number one while still maintaining and now, being a Christmas number one themselves. It's so weird. Now, wait, if that, now, didn't, didn't we get a, didn't they give a little taste of that Christmas number one thing in uh, the movie Love Actually that Richard Grant did? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah, they, a, they talk oh about Lord, that. Hype. Yeah. so much sense now. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. Bill Nighy, um, I can't think of his, the guy he played, the pop singer he played, but uh, Ooh, yeah. he... He played, but he was like, okay, like, wait, you're just redoing one of your old pop songs. And he's like, exactly. I I don't give a crap. Just turn it to make some Christmas crap, whatever. We'll we'll put out Christmas. It'll be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make money. Screw it. And that's it. And and I was like, that's so, so that's what it was based off of. Just the Christmas number one tradition. Yeah. And there have been, I don't know whether there have been songs that were like, actual kind of just Christmas versions of older songs. There might have been, but there were certainly, there's certainly been songs that like artists and bands have bought out that have been like Christmas themed. So like The Darkness did um, like Jingle Bells, I think it was called. I can't remember what it was called. Wait, wait, Matt. The darkness. The darkness. They did a song. I don't know whether the darkness. The darkness did a song. I believe in a thing called That's love. It. Yeah, yeah. They had a Christmas song. They did. They did jingle bells. They did they... a song. Oh no, it's called Christmas time. Don't let the bells end. Oh, 
Oh man. Yeah. You'll have to look that up. You have no idea how happy you have it's made so me. It's so weird because I hear that song every I, year. They play that on the radio I, every I year. I'm so happy. And, that, and oh, that's the thing about oh. these Christmas number ones as well. They don't disappear. They don't get played once and then just go into obscurity. They go on to like a weird kind of um, subliminal playlist that everyone has in their head. And like they get what? they get trotted out every year. So like these songs will get played. Like Mr. Blobby doesn't because like that's kind of that was like a real kind of earworm and like everyone loved it and then everyone hated it. So like you never really hear that anymore. But like Christmas time from um from the darkness, they've they've that Christmas song comes out all the time. Oh my gosh. Like the both select Christmas song, Spice Girls, Two Become One. That that was like a Christmas number one. And so Okay. Because that yeah. got released here, so that that became like yeah. a relatively decent sized hit here, anyway. Yeah, but like yeah. that's the, that's the difference as well, because there are songs that are released as Christmas number ones that are not Christmas themed. They don't mention Christmas. They don't mention snow. They don't mention reindeers or Santa or anything. But because they were Christmas number one, they become a Christmas song. So we have like you know, I think over here, I think it's but like. American radio is, is, is different to British radio. Like American radio, you've got like channels dedicated to like country and pop and rock, whereas we don't really have that here. But like what we do have yeah. is on digital radios, you can listen to Christmas, like Christmas radio, and you can like that come like come pop like pop up radio channels that come up like from like December 10th to January 10th or something. And that's like a Christmas um and that's like it's all just christmas music but like weirdly enough it's christmas music so it's like um you know some some like elvis like christmas song frank sinatra it'll be like um nat king cole and all these like kind of christmas classics and then all of a sudden spice girls 2 become one will be on there because it was released at Christmas. And so, like, Brit- to British people, that's a Christmas number one. And then there's another song, which is, like, and any, any anyone who is British listening to this are going to, like, roll their eyes and throw something at their, whatever they're listening to this on. But there's a song by E17 called Stay Another Day. And E17 were this terrible boy band from the mid-'90s. And they, I genuinely don't think that anyone would ever remember them anymore, except they had a song called Stay Another Day, that was or was close to being Christmas number one, and now it is associated with Christmas. So if I hear that song on the radio, I know that it's December, and I know that it's the lead up to Christmas, even though it has nothing to do with Christmas. They don't, I think they may have put like jingle bells in the background to make it a little bit more Christmassy, but it's not, it's nothing to do with Christmas. It's so bizarre. Like it's so weird. Like what actually talking about it feels like it kind of, like shines a light on a really strange part of British culture. We, you see, we like, like when and our, like I say, our Christmas radio is usually like our radio stations here is usually like we got our, you got your general oldies stations that play 70s, 80s, and 90s because now 90s are included because 60s, 70s, 80s, usually 70s, 80s, and sometimes 90s, depending on what station you're listening to. And you have like the okay. rock stations, classic rock, modern rock, and then alternative, easy listening, what have you. And then you get like, and and then it's like usually around Christmas time here, like a lot of the radio stations go to full blown Christmas, everything right, Christmas. Right, yeah, it's that's kind of true. Yeah, and it's, that's true here as well. It's all and see, I would kill for a darkness song during Christmas. I, you I, should look that up because it is quite a good Christmas song. I like they, they, 
the 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 hook of it is the fact that they wanna they wanna get as close to saying the word bellend as possible. So they say Christmas time, don't let the bells end. And so they're like it's kind of rude, but in a kind of cheeky British way, in a weird way. But yeah, that's quite a good song. And um what's another good song? Have you heard of the Pogues? Like um Oh yeah, I yeah. do they do they know? Oh no, no it's no, a no, it's, it's a oh do they, they met someone. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah, that's Fairy Tale of New York. Thank you. I yeah, couldn't think of the name. Fairy Tale yeah. of New York. That's huge over here. And then like the the Band Aid one. Yeah, do they know it's Christmas? And but yeah, like Mr. Blobby for a while fit into that like area. And I kind of feel as though people were a little more forgiving of it because it was a Christmas like number one. And so like I think it I think it gained that kind of it. it like found a bit of a back door into the British psyche kind of through that. Um, you know, yeah. And I can see, cause it's like, it's funny. Cause I was actually thinking how did Mr. Blobby not get over here? See, we had a very similar sort of like massive thing of destruction. Like cause Mr. Blobby sort of like this pink, yellow blob thing causes massive destruction. We had Mr. Bean. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we got Mr. Bean over here. And I think, and I think someone thought, should we really bring the Americans Mr. Blobby, because they, because someone found me an old article of them trying to bring Mr. Blobby over here. Okay, yeah, and 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 I and they went and it's like, nope, uh, uh-uh, uh, <laughs> no, no way, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, 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 we do not want that pink and yellow monstrosity. Here. Yeah, yeah, because I almost think it's like I think it's like we have like a massive thing of destruction, and it's like, yeah, we got Mr. Bean over here, and that was weird enough. So I think I think Mr. Blobby was like, are we good? Yeah. Are we good, world? Because th- Mr. Bobby was strange. And I can't believe he. This is. It's going to be funny for viewers, me, because they're going to be like, now I'm generally learning something here because I did not know the, the sheer level of Christmas. Like, because we don't really. We got. They did Christmas albums here, but now since the CD market is um kind of dead, mm. and I'm not sure what it's like. And I. I know you guys have a better a better CD market than we do. I don't. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm kind of like I'm 35 now, so I don't really kind of buy singles, or I don't really kind of um, I don't really like pay attention to the pop charts and stuff. So, like, I don't really know if that if it's that or if it is just the fact that generally it's less important than it used to be. But like, what used to be like the number one single like whatever was like number one that week so like each week they do like the the charts you know obviously and it's like it used to be a huge deal so like things like um wet 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 love is all around like the one that the song that like uh, Bill Nye's song, like the his Christmas version. Christmas all around us. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> like he's like the the original version of that song, yes. sung by Wet Wet Wet, which was on the Four Weddings and a Funeral album, I think it was. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral soundtrack. Um, that was that was notorious for being like um like a, a long running number one. So it was number one over here for, I don't want to do it. Dis- uh, I don't want to not like give it the due it needs, but it, I think it was something like 13 weeks or something, or maybe even something more ludicrous, but then like, which is unheard of for it to be, for it to last that long. And, it, and, uh, and I think Celine Dion's my heart will go on from Titanic. That was, I think that was like something like 30 weeks at number one or something. And so like, it became it became a huge thing whereas nowadays i don't really think it is and like i'm not really i'm not really a person to like i'm kind of 
digital everything at the moment so like i'm not really i don't buy dvds or blu-rays or cds or anything so because i know hmv is still like a big deal over there and i know because i and i know you guys have hmv still big over there because like most of our like stuff like that has been either like most movie stores i mean they're around but we don't have they don't have near the powerhouse they once did like like best buy still sell still does some stuff still does some stuff with like cds and dvds and whatnot and mm. and then like target still does a little bit with it but it's not what it used to be because no, like I mean, all it's, the- it's going that way here as well like a lot of like hmvs i think hmv still has stores but every almost every other like store like that like dedicated to like just selling cds and dvds and games i think he's pretty much shut down now like especially like on the high street anyway like they'll they'll be online i imagine like virgin had like virgin mega stores for a while oh yeah um, they yeah and they and they've gone and like they were like the biggest ride yeah. i think to hmv so everything else smaller than that has has absolutely gone the way of the dodo you probably you probably have a few kind of like little shops here and there but um same here yeah, yeah. nothing but, like this is wild. Like, this yeah. is like a weird education for me too. Cause I don't, like I said, the British scene is like, I know more about the British scene now because we get more of it. Mm. But back yeah. in the nineties, like we got like, like there was a, by the way, y'all, we ever, for any people who grew up, like people who are fans of keep up appearances, Mr. Blobby has a sketch with, yeah. with, with uh, keep up appearances with Hyacinth Buck, book, Hyacinth Bouquet Hyacinth and Bouquet, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think like, I said, okay, it, it, it's three minutes, only three minutes. It's very beyond silly and weird. And Patricia Rutledge is not even hiding her laughter trying to deal with Mr. Blobby. She's yeah. just like, what in the hell is this thing? Yeah. <laughs> she, to be fair, she's, she's, she is brilliant. She is a brilliant comedian, though, isn't she? She's brilliant. Yeah. And I love her the pieces. But and but she's just laughing her head off. And it, if you guys want to see... If you guys want a more like easy to deal with Mr. Blobby experience, watch that. Yeah. But then there's like sketches, like people that have uploaded from VHS that of like Mr. Blobby going on holiday, Mr. Blobby getting fit, Mr. Blobby goes shopping. Yeah. And I mean, I think like the, I think the, if you don't know anything about Mr. Blobby, I think that Kim Justice video covers everything. Like it, it, it absolutely takes boxes. I learned a few things from it because I didn't know there was going to be like blobby theme parks and stuff like i had no idea it was that be. and now they're just abandoned somewhere in somerset that's really weird um but yeah that's like that's bizarre but um but yeah that video does absolutely cover it and it's like it's it reminded me of that time in and because as you say like you get a lot more british stuff we get a lot more american stuff now the world is a smaller place and so like everything is kind of shared almost really whereas like before that like about you know 20 years ago then anything before then was just we had our own individual kind of ecosystems and so like this weird kind of culture of saturday night television and like loads of like um short-hand things that we think of as brits now like there's like this weird kind of underpinning of weird irony about mr blobby that like because he wasn't a kid's character either he became a kid's character but like he was on an adult show like he was past he was on like prime time tv in britain and it was just he became this phenomenon and it's just so very weird 
but um but yeah but anyway this is a comic book podcast so don't like right. everyone listening yeah there's, don't, a, and there's a segue to this yeah there is a segue like talking about it weird stuff like we um we are we first of all like we are, that's the issue hasn't been um didn't come out last week or the week before um apologies for that uh, we have gone monthly so uh, you will be listening to us once a month it'll be the third friday of every month um as you uh, as you listen to this um and um each month we're going to have a theme or a question that we're going to ask people going to ask the general public um about comics about issues that they love and um and so where's what was the theme and what was the question for this this first inaugural kind of uh, test of ours so this is interesting to me because I'm right now on my own site. I'm start. I'm starting a series of articles called my called the Sequential Chronicles. I have the first one up, and I'm working on the second one. And the first awesome. one is sort of like, like, and I and sort of like what happened was it made me think. Yeah, what all weird crap do we all have in our collections? And and what all weird comics do we have in our collection? And mm-hmm. so we brought up Twitter and and um, Twitter. You failed this city. Yeah, Twitter let us down. You guys amazingly. failed, and I and, and now you're all like, but we, you know, you like you, you no. failed, man. So no forgiveness, but but forgiveness that you failed. But it's cool. Yeah, we'll yeah, make it up next time. Be better, but um. So Matt and bless you, Matt, for this. <laughs> you you got the multiversity staff to yeah bring us their wonder their joy they're oh, yeah. sharing their weird magnificent things of their collection because yeah. it's it's beautiful i mean okay i love this stuff because i love like most you may not know this about me but might not know but might not i collect a lot like i have a lot of oddball comics like i i collect one of my weird things i love collecting like promo comics like I have like a promo. I have, there's like I have two Supergirl comics that were made for the America Honda company. Okay. I have a couple of those. Uh, I have a couple of the Marvel promo things, like from the Asthma Foundation. I think I have that somewhere. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I have a couple computer comics that were based off stuff. I have. I have stuff that I I I probably forgotten. I have stuff, but. Well, this it's is, like, this is like, why I, I thought know. this would be like a brilliant first question because I feel as though our. Our like brand of podcast is like is rambling and is uh, going in weird tangents and it's talking about strange things like Mr. Blobby, for example, for twenty minutes. So I feel <laughs> as though the first like the, the Blobby, ignore- Blobby. <laughs> don't Blobby, oh god, he's Blobby. here, he's here. We've summoned him. We've said his name so many times. <laughs> it's like Blobby. No, never mind. Okay, I, I'm going to stop myself now. <laughs> no, no. So yeah. So yeah, so I thought that was a, that's a good first start, and, and I think you mentioned about your you were talking about the article that you were writing, and I thought well, actually that's a really good idea for a comic uh, for a for a theme for the show. Weird depths of your comic. It book. is funny because I I did not think about this because it, it, so here's the thing like I love learning because I've only had very like I follow a few of the multiversity staff on Twitter like mm-hmm. like Kate and I have become buddies yeah. Um, like Matt and I know each other forever. Um, and so it's sort of like, and some of us, if some people become part of multiversity staff, others talk to me randomly. So, yeah. and so I kind of learned of the deaths of some of these people. I went, y'all weirder than I thought. And I 
<laughs> yeah, and that's what I love about this because, like, the whole the the whole poor purpose of this show and uh, the the tagline of the show is getting to know you through the issues that you love. And what better way to get to know you from than through the weirdest weirded part of your collection? So basically, I sent uh, we sent the tweets out and uh, Twitter failed us. So I sent an email out to everyone at uh, Multiverse or as many people as I have the email addresses for anyway. And I said, "What's the weirdest comic book in your collection?" Um, and so that's the theme of this show weird things so that was the kind of segue i i I promise you i shit you not i went online because i wanted to have a perfect segue and i wanted to find a mr blobby comic but there was was no mr blobby comic i know i searched i I searched i couldn't find it and i really wish there was because i wanted to blow your mind and go the weirdest comic in my collection is a mr blobby comic but it wasn't i think he like there's no yeah, there's, how how was it was an Amiga game? They made a flipping Amiga game that people could play on their on the computers that were way more popular in Britain than they were here. Yeah. And 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 like Amiga was way more yeah, the Amiga was like way more it was here in the US, but it never really made a big dent here in our market, but they were bigger in the UK and and like across the world. But yeah. there was a Mr. Blobby Amiga game and I went how is there not a Mr. Blobby comic book? Yeah, so I couldn't do that perfect segue, unfortunately. But um, thankfully, the Multiversity staff, unlike Twitter, the Multiversity staff came out in droves and showed me their weird and wonderful size of their comic book collections. Um, but first of all, first let's lead by example. Where's, what is the weirdest comic book in your collection? Matt, I actually tried to try to narrow this down. <laughs> I knew you'd have trouble. Funny. Your comic book collection is weird. I don't have. I don't really have one. I have multiple ones. I've already mentioned. I have the Supergirl yeah. promo comics. I have the. I have. I have an X Men Toys R Us promo comic. I have a. Sheesh! Like, like it was funny because I'll give. I'll give you one of these. I'll give you one. One of the early. One of the ones early because I actually wanted to uh, mention this. Uh, Jet. Uh, let's see. Jess. Let's find her bit here. Because hers just got mixed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jess uh, Camacho. Yes, Jess Camacho. Hers was, hers made me smile because I actually, because I saw hers and mm-hmm. she and she, she said she has Welcome Back Cotter comic. I'm like, yeah, I own one of those. Like, it was funny. I said, oh, my Lord, we both own Welcome Back Cotter comics. And because I own like, I have a Chuck Norris Karate Commandos comic. And yeah. And but she and like welcome back, Cotter. Like because I just bought, I found one, I found the number one of that the other day. And when she put mm. that on her bed, I went, "Oh, that's so cool!" Yeah, we're, so, we're weird. Welcome back, Cotter comic buddies. That's yeah, so just much as said, I have a single issue of a Welcome Back Cotter comic. I got it when I was working at a comic shop. It was mixed in some old Western issues <laughs> for some unknown reason, and I just had to have it. And now talking of like weird. UK things that US people don't get. I've never heard of Welcome Back Cotter. I had to look it up to. Welcome back. <laughs> you see, I hope that's the Welcome theme. Back. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah, it's the theme. Of I'm back now, and it's got like it's got John Travolta in it. So young Trump, very young yeah, John Travolta. Travolta. Um, and it's like so like, it's like a like a sitcom then. It's a. Yeah, Welcome Back, Cotter was a sitcom popular in the seventies, and John Travolta was in it. And it's it's about these crazy sweat hogs who give their teacher a hard time, 
but oh and, shucks and it's but and it's but and and it's correct well and one of John Travolta's catchphrases was up your nose with a rubber hose oh and, wow up, and then and then like what a cheeky chappy and then it's like, oh god, I'm not even going to try to get a welcome back, Carter, because it's been a while since I've watched an episode. Because no, that's fine. It's a we'll, we'll go off on the wild tangent. It was a '70s, it was a '70s TV show. It was very popular, and then it like all the sweat hogs eventually. Most of the sweat hogs started leaving. It's like the history of that show is whenever it airs on syndication or airs anywhere, it has really good ratings for a little while, and then like the last mm. season, like almost everyone leaves. And it just becomes a oh, bunch okay, of like yeah. replacement sweat hogs and um, the show's range dip. So it only survives like one or two airings and then it's gone because it's just like, yeah, they only want to see like the John Travolta and the seasons with like the more familiar sweat hogs. But mm. it's not, it's a show that if you watch it at least once, you'll kind of go, okay, that I, but the, the theme song of welcome back is, is uh, the most, iconic bit of the show. Yeah, yeah. And the sweat hogs of like John Travolta and some of the cast are very like a lot of the people came went on to have really good character actor careers. Yeah, I bet like, a few of those actors really went on to do some awesome character acting roles. Hmm. But And you've but, got a uh, comic of it as well, you said. I've got a co- I've got a Welcome Back Cotter comic. I've got Oh, oh I got the Centuri have you ever heard of a series? Have you heard of an anime series called The Centurions? Um, I feel like I have. Let me look it up. I feel like that rings a bell for me, but I don't know. Um, I can't picture it. Go on. It, it, had, like the, it, it had a four-issue limited series from DC Comics back in the eighties, back in the like back when it aired, and I own like the entire run. Like, uh, Don, I I know um, Don Heck, who did a lot of the early Avengers issues. He did. He mm. did art for the Centurion series. Don Heck did a lot of art for uh, DC in like the late eighties, like in like, oh, like wow, eighty six, okay. eighty seven. He was all like he did the Blue Beetle series for. He did a little bit of the Blue Beetle series for uh, DC at one point. And oh, I see. So Centurions is like a it's a Hanna Barbera. Yeah, uh, um, Gil Kane and Jack Kirby did uh, designs for it. Oh wow! And okay, you so can it's... tell if you ever watch like. If you ever see some clips on YouTube of it, you can see like the art styles, of, like you can see the Kirby influence in there, and then you can also see the Gil Kane influence in there, like mm. especially in the faces, because they. I know Gil Kane did a lot of character work for that show. Oh wow, awesome! Because Gil Kane and Jack Kirby did a lot of stuff for for Hanna Barbera. Like there's a show called Thunder the Barbarian mm. that Jack Kirby did a lot, a lot of character work for. Wow. Like design and so forth, and you can see more of the Kirby oh, yeah, and Thundar, and it's a bit like He Man. Yeah, it's kind of very He Manish, but it's very it's a lot more like it's a little bit like an, another it's like more of a post apocalyptic Earth that Thundar mm. was, and Centurions are like this very high tech futuristic world, and you can see more the of the Gil Kane stylings in that show. So yeah, yeah. it's really weird, like because like a lot of these show, like a lot of these artists that were sort of like. Like they're they're not we weren't getting a lot of major comic gigs here and there, mm. but they were doing a lot of work for Hanna Barbera and other animation companies because if you were a good storyteller in the eighties, you could get some really good gigs doing. I feel like there's a stuff. lot of I feel like there's a lot of Hanna Barbera deep cuts like in the eighties and nineties that I've never heard of because like that Future Quest comic that DCK brought out last year or the year before. 
that was like um that was kind of pulling cameos from from different things like i know space ghosts from the adult swim uh the adult swim cartoon like the the parody version like adults uh, was it space ghost coast to coast Yes, Space yeah. Ghost Goes to Coast, one of my favorite shows. Yeah. That I only know him from that. I didn't realize that there was an original Space Ghost that was like a, a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Like, so I no yeah, idea. Alex Toth did uh, did so. I, if I remember correctly, yeah, Alex Toth did uh, character did some character work for that show, Thanks. and like you can see, like, if you ever seen Alex Toth's artwork, yeah, wow, you can kind of see that influence of those very clean lines. Mm, yeah, and that's true. Heavy influence there, and um, but. But Space Ghost was it. It originally started. It started as a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Then they made it as an animated series, an animated talk show on Cartoon Network. Then Adult Swim happened. They transferred Space Ghost Coast to Coast from the main Cartoon Network because it aired late night anyway. Mm-hmm. They said, "I'll screw up it on Adult Swim. They'll they'll fit in there perfectly." Oh, so wow. this. So that's where I. And it was funny. That's where I saw like, like uh, like the Ramones had. There's there's an episode of, like the Ramones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm basically like space ghost, coast to coast. It's the most space ghost. <laughs> and what was the other one? Um, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, as well. That's got loads yeah, of Bird, yeah. So that is he. He's a heart. Um, he's a Hanna Barbera character as well, is he? Or is he? Yep. Yeah. Harvey so, Birdman. Yeah. So yeah. It's so bizarre. Like all these old characters. Like I really know from like kind of the new, the kind of the parody versions. But like things like Thunder the Barbarian and. Um, like the centurions and stuff they're all like they all look really cool anyway we've got a lot of um we've got a lot of weird comics to get through so um where should we start who should we start with um I, oh, 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 dude, we'll start in order here because i'm actually gonna like i said i went to jess's first because actually hers rhyme with the welcome back cotter because yeah, yeah like believe me if we got into all the weird i'd have to go deep dive into my collection i was just like oh weird we're just going to go with the with the surface cut, and then we're just going to work from there. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you have like uh, an issue of Batman or like an issue of of X Men, like a kind of a really normal comic, I feel as though that's the weird comic in your collection because everything else is so strange that like if there's like a normal regular comic in there, that's the odd one out. So I feel as though it's almost the opposite for you. You need you did you just pluck a random comic out and go, oh yeah, this one, yeah. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium, and we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep. Folks, welcome back to the show. Now, if you've listened to That's the Issue before, you'll know that we always like to have a special guest along uh, to uh, help us maintain the quality of the show that you know and love. Now, this week is no different, um, and me and Wes have been joined by the ghost of technical difficulties. Yes, that um, lovely friend um, who likes to come along and make our lives as difficult as possible. Um, so the first half of this show, me and Wes were able to chat together. We had a lovely 20-minute talk about Mr. Blobby, which I'm glad that we managed to record for you. Uh, however, now we are um, unable to uh, continue chatting together, um, purely because the kind of the podcast recording software that we use uh, doesn't seem to like us being able to hear each other, um, which is 
you know if you don't i mean if you're not technical minded um you you may not know that being able to hear each other while uh, you're talking on a podcast is pretty crucial um so uh, unfortunately we aren't able to chat with each other um on the rest of this podcast while i frantically find um ways to fix that for next month um i am um, comforted for the rest of this episode in knowing that I'm not alone um, for this episode because I am indeed joined by the entire Multiversity staff uh, who came out in droves to tell us and share with us the weirdest comic books in their collection uh, and so now I'm going to share just a few with you lovely people. Um, the first comes from uh, Kate Kostersky, uh, who we've had on the show before. Uh, she's also the social media manager for Multiversity Comics. And um, she shared the uh, following. Earlier this year at Big Apple Comic Con, I found a Marvel-branded Doctor Who comic. It was from 1980 under the Marvel premiere banner and featured several stories with Tom Baker's fourth Doctor. It was strange to me when I found it because I've always thought of Titan as the home of Doctor Who comics, even though I know their license on the property is very new and Who Comics have been the publisher in the UK for practically forever. According to Wikipedia, the Marvel premiere banner was a series of tryout books started when Stan Lee transitioned from writing and editing to a more management role. They would give Marvel the chance to launch a new character or series in a limited format to see how readers would react without having to invest in a whole new series. Some of the characters that appeared were Doctor Strange, Iron Fist, both of whom got their own series later, Black Panther, Ant-Man and non-superheroes like Alice Cooper and Doctor Who. The Who ones were reprints of Doctor Who Weekly in the UK. Now I um, was vaguely aware of this because I always remember there being Doctor Who comics uh, knocking about uh, when I was younger. I was never into Doctor Who, uh, weirdly. Um, I was only really got into Doctor Who with the remakes, although I really loved the uh, American like Doctor Who movie uh, that um, BBC America made um, with Paul McGann, and I had like a real soft spot for that, even though I kind of had no idea who Doctor Who was, and it's like kind of generally regarded as like one of the more rubbish things that Doctor Who's produced. Either way, I had a soft spot for that. Um, so it's awesome to hear that um, you know Kate found this Doctor Who comic. Um, Tom Baker as well, one of the best Doctors, um, and it was under the Marvel banner. Like Marvel have produced some weird and wonderful licensed comics over the years. Um, you should really go back and like kind of check out some of these the weird licenses that they had. Um, definitely, um, definitely have a look at those. Um, Brian Salvatore, the uh, editor in chief of. Um, multiversitycomics.com uh, shared for years I had an issue of Shadow Man that guest starred Aerosmith signed by Aerosmith I eventually gave it away at a live podcast recording of my old multiversity podcast The Hour Cosmic at Emerald City Comic Con in 2014 now I love this I mean I think this is like I think me and Wes talked about this um, just before the podcast um, crapped out on us earlier. Um, but we want to know more information about this, Brian. Um, this is like you had uh, an issue of Shadow Man that guest starred Aerosmith, which in itself is awesome. Like, I love when live bands or like celebrities guest star in comics. I remember there being like an Iron Man annual from like the late 90s, early 2000s that was like the Heroes Return era. And he had, um, he was on a date and like uh, it was the, oh, what's his name? The controller the the controller from the old kind of jim style in um warlock comics uh the controller was um taken over a hotel or something but in the middle of it iron man or tony Stark met up with um david arquette and courtney cox when they were together um so which kind of ages that comic but at the same time it's really weird to kind of see these celebrities turning up in the pages of your comics and so um shadow man guest starring Aerosmith the issue was signed by Aerosmith as well so I want to know how you got that Brian so you're gonna have to let me know how you actually got that comic and uh, but also giving it away that's awesome I mean that's 
giving it away is chili peppers isn't it no that's not yeah i was gonna make a joke there but it doesn't work anyway moving on uh, christopher egan one of the writers for multiversity says the weirdest book in my collection has to be fantasy generals terranauts number one i've no idea where it came from or why i have it i've acquired rare or interesting books over the years from various collectors but i don't know where this came from I've got two long boxes I bought for a total of $10 as part of a blind buy at my local shop on Black Friday a few years ago. Some weird stuff in there, but nothing too out of the norm. Weird anime books, a few Castlevania issues, poorly received Marvel stuff like the craptacular B-sides, Houdini's Daring Escapes, Cyberfrog, lots of long-forgotten early image books, worthless stuff, slowly reselling most of what's in there. Chris, what I love about this story uh, is the idea of you just grabbing this these boxes of random issues, you've no idea what's in them, and just kind of sitting and rifling through them, and like $10 was a steal to be honest even if they're just complete and utter crap which two long boxes for ten dollars let's face it you're not going to be getting action comics number one um so like the fact that you have like castlevania issues um like houdini's daring escapes cyberfrog i've no idea what cyberfrog is i've got a picture of like kind of james bond but robocop in my head um but um but yeah these these comics sound amazing and a lot of the time those are the best kind of comics to be reading like these kind of weird off offbeat strange comics which you know obviously is the uh, the whole theme of this podcast uh, this week uh, this month so uh, so chris thank you very much for that um mark tweedow has sent us um a a short but sweet um reply saying without a doubt it has to be tintin in thailand now he sent a picture which i'll put in the notes um the show notes on multiversitycomics.com um the front cover of tintin in thailand but the fact that he was so brief about it made me really kind of piqued my curiosity and i was like what is what is this issue so tintin in thailand i looked on wikipedia.com uh, .org uh, sorry wikipedia.org it is the uh, the internet's encyclopedia and it says tintin in thailand is a parody of the adventures of tintin books by hirsch released in uh, 1999 written and designed to emulate a volume of the tintin books but is the author's own story it was written by a belgian author uh, who used the alias bud e weiser a name that is a play on the name of american beer bud weiser <laughs> oh that little scamp um basically it's uh, it's all in black and white um it's the format of the original Tintin books, but with a few key differences. Uh, characters are imitations of the originals, presented as acting uncharacteristically, such as using profane language. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Put the kids to bed. This is Tintin in Thailand. And basically, he just it looks like he's kind of getting up to the kind of stuff that tourists in Thailand disreputable tourists in thailand might get up to i'm not going to say any more than that but um i have no idea how you got hold of that mark um but i would very much like to hear that story um eric uh goldberg who is um another writer on multiversity comics um said not sure if these books are weird but they're pretty rare and very special it's a heck of a coincidence that you asked a few days before father's day i have a collection of pogo possum books that my father gave me when i was a kid they're from the early and mid 50s so he would have been in his 20s when he bought them i was around 10 or 11 and for me comics broke down into two categories superheroes and the newspaper strips and the strips were only cool when they were funny suddenly this strip that was pretty lifeless in the daily news came to life with riotous slapstick and clever wordplay and he puts walt kelly had just passed away and his widow and son had taken over the strip was cancelled soon after 
Kelly's biting social and political commentary changed the way I read comics. The books have some of the most famous storylines, like the one I, the one spawned I Go Pogo, a riff on Eisenhower's I Like Ike, and the brief appearance of Simple Jay Malarkey, a lampooning of Eugene McCarthy that got Kelly in a little bit of hot water. I can only imagine. Um, although he weathered the storm with his typical aplomb by placing a paper bag over the characters' heads. I think I got a lot more from Steve Englehart's run on Captain America, which came out right around the same time, uh, continues Eric, since I was prepared to read comics that dealt with current events and politics. I also got an extra thrill out of the Starjammers when they showed up in the X-Men, since I knew where Hepzibah's name came from. I'm not sure if it was Cochram or Claremont that named her. Even though much of my comics collection disappeared while I was in the army during the 80s, these five books remain treasured possessions and a fond memory of my father who passed away almost a decade ago. Eric, thank you so much for sharing that story. And uh, he shared a picture of um, these Pogo books uh, that I'll also post up. They look amazing, these kind of old 50s covers, um, like insanely detailed, gorgeous kind of lettering and design on them. Um, so I am uh, really grateful for that. It's such a personal story, it's such a personal thing to have in your collection and you know it does count as weird you know it's not something that you see every day it's not something that you kind of um would potentially actively seek in a comic shop or um or you know an old uh, old vintage bookshop um but nevertheless they're kind of treasure possessions and they're something that uh, that you should really hold on to and uh, really treasure eric so uh, yeah thank you very much for that uh, Gustavo um, has shared um, his story. He asks, would a trade edition of the X-Men Proteus saga translated into Czech count? Got it, on a trip, got it on a trip I made to Prague and I can't read a word of it. Gustavo, I am right on your level with this. Um, a few years ago, um, well, many years ago now, in fact, uh, my ex-girlfriend uh, went to Bulgaria and uh, she knew I enjoyed comics, so she bought me back this uh, graphic novel, um, the you know the big album style um, European graphic novels that you can get, um, and it was um, of a you know uh, must be Bulgarian or French or or, or Belgian, um, you know superheroes or comic bo- comic book characters. Couldn't understand a word of it, um, but absolutely got a thrill out of just reading the, uh, just looking at the pictures and just admiring the art and and trying to follow this story by um, looking at the expressive character movements. Uh, so Gustavo, I absolutely am on your level with that. Um, it also follows, you know, kind of a similar story I have where I um, asked for an ap- the absolute Watchmen edi- or absolute edition of Watchmen um, about ten years ago now, and my mom bought me it from Amazon, not realizing that she'd picked the German version. Um, or that, or it was the um, it was the German version that they sent accidentally, or something. But um, I got it, and I kind of started reading it. And I think I mentioned this on um, on Paul's podcast a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I started reading it, and I was just like, "Huh, I don't remember it starting in German." And I was just like, "What are the kind of social and cultural connotations? What are, what's Alan Moore trying to say by having Rorschach start his sentences in German?" And I was like, "Oh wait, no, actually, yeah, it's it's just it's all in German. It's completely wrong." Um, and I I tried getting an English version, but they didn't have any. English version for some reason I don't know uh, anyway sent it back got a full refund blah 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 but uh yeah, weird. Um, anyway, Benjamin Birdie um, has uh, mentioned in saying, I can't think of anything weirder than the full, abruptly cancelled run of Keith Giffen and Tom and Mary Birnbaum's The Heckler. Just six issues of a no-power diner owner fighting in costume against enemies like Sahay and the four mopeds of the apocalypse. Now again, I wish Wes was here for this because I have no idea uh, what Benjamin's going on about. Uh, so again, I had to trust my old friend wikipedia.org um, it's a, an online encyclopedia, don't you know? Um, that is um, that mentions that the Heckler was a six-issue limited series 
um, <clears throat> well, it was an ongoing series that just ended at issue six uh, in 1992-93, um, published by DC Comics. Um, so it was a parody series that was kind of uh, Keith Given wanted to create a superheroic Bugs Bunny, uh, but because he, he wanted to work with Bugs Bunny, but felt that DC Comics, who were publishing Bugs Bunny's work at the time, would not have approved of his handling of the character. Tom and Mary Burbaum, whom who had previously worked with Given on Legend of Superheroes, scripted the series over his plots and pencils for its entire run. Though the heckler's costume is covered with ha-has, Giffen told the beer bombs that the heckler must never laugh in this manner, since the ha-ha laugh was a, sig- was a signature aspect of the creeper. See, I would have thought it was a joker, but, you know, there we go. Um, so, yeah, that's that's super weird, and it's kind of almost intentionally designed to be weird as well, so, like, it's it like, kind of doubles down on the weirdness, if you know what I mean. So, Benjamin, thank you very much. Um, Mike Romeo, or Mike Romeo, um, from the um, podcast uh, Robots from Tomorrow. Um, he's put, um, when I asked the question, what's the weirdest comic in your collection? He put, that's a tough one because I love bizarre comics. But the first thing that came to mind is famous first edition Flash comics. It's a treasury size reprint of Flash Comics number one, which is the first appearance origin of Jay Garrick. It also got the first of many Hawkman origins. And he sent a list, uh, he sent a link on my comic shop. And he also says that he did an annotation of the Flash story that's in the issue. Um, over on multiversitycomics.com and the link to that will be in the show notes as well so if you want to find out more about this very weird comic um, then click on that and have a look so Mike yeah thanks very much for that I appreciate that uh, Greg joint, completing my collection of Robots from Tomorrow hosts um, Greg has uh, put says it's not actually in my collection anymore but for a while I had a copy of The Goddessy Number 1 written by Rob Liefeld and drawn by Ed Bennis in 1996 it's an awful comic, but it does start with the dream sequence of Jesus hopping down off a cross and kicking the collective ass of Zeus and the other Greek gods who've shown up in Golgotha to tell him they're pissed everyone's worshipping him, him instead of them. And Greg underneath has put, I kid you not. And he's put a link to CBR, um, things uh, things that turned out bad at the time uh, the Greek gods fought Jesus as part of a comic crossover. That is so super insane i don't even know where to start with that that kind of throws a lot at me i feel like i need to have a moment to process that um but i definitely want to go check this out the goddessy number one now weirdly again you know if i as i mentioned in the first half of this episode where's loves his weird issues where's knows his weird comics you know so if you have a weird comic and you're going to try and get one over where's don't like the only thing that's weird that i don't think i thought he hadn't heard of was mr blobby and i found it weird that he hadn't heard of that because he seems to know everything about everything when it comes to weird stuff um, and he mentioned that he knew about the goddessy because of course and so i'm interested to see what he thought of that as well and what do you think of that and what do you think of any of these so far let me know so thank you greg uh, for sending that one in um jacob hill has put my collection is sadly pretty conventional but i do have one interesting item for when i was teaching an older teacher i knew um knew i was a comics guy and she had an original copy of the martin luther king comic published in 1957 i've got that in a long box and he sends a link to wikipedia.org um my friend on this podcast this episode um and uh, he links to martin luther king and the montgomery story which is a 10 cent comic uh, released in 1957 16 pages um about Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, the Montgomery bus boycott, and it was published in 1957 by the Fellowship of Reconciliation. 
and it advocates the principles of non-violence and provides a primer on non-violent re- resistance. This is amazing. Like this is um, not weird. This should be kind of mandatory reading for everyone. Um, I think it's um, it looks fascinating. It looks um, you know it, it follows in the tradition that um, that you know the kind of the Black Panthers and Martin Luther King and and all of these like kind of non uh, you know political activists you know in the, at the era would often um, you know. Put Publish their um, their manifestos in graphic novel format, in like comic books, because it was easier for you know the the poorer members of society, the the people that were you know disadvantaged by a white privileged society, um, with um, you know by giving them. Uh, you know, in information in a format that they could understand, and so this kind of follows in that suit, and much like March does as well. You know, the uh, the representative uh, John Lewis is uh, is autobiography trilogy. Um, so yeah, brilliant, Jacob. That's that's an awesome uh, addition to your collection. You should be really proud of that. Uh, Matt, Garcia, Matt Garcia, um, another editor for uh, MultiversityComics.com, um, he's put, For me, it's this John Macy book published through Northwest called Fearful Hunter. It's about a druid boy who falls in love with a shape-shifting wolf god in some punk rock wood. There's also elements of body horror, shamanistic symbolism, and lots and lots and lots of erections. Now, up until that last bit... Um, I was just about to go searching for it, but I don't know. I was at work at the time and I kind of thought, do I really want to be searching for a comic book that has loads of erections in it? I mean, you know, obviously yes, but not at work, maybe no. So I didn't. Um, but Fearful Hunter, I mean, I'm going to look that up. Wikipedia, help me out. Uh, or if you've heard of it, have you got a copy of it? Um, let me know. So yeah, that sounds awesome, Matt. That is the very definition of weird. Um, and I, I love you even more for sending that in. Uh, Nicholas Palmieri. Uh, has written in stating while long box diving I discovered a run of about 10 issues of Boris the Bear uh, a dark horse book from the mid 80s that parodied the glut of black and white indie comics at the time the first issue has Boris fighting and killing caricatures of every major contemporary indie character we exercise our right to arm bears he puts in uh, in quotes future issues went deeper into comics culture and predicted that the speculation market of black and white TMNT ripoffs would be a bubble that would pop it did, obviously, and a later issue commented on it. I never even knew there was a speculation ball that popped before the huge one in the early 90s. A later issue parodied Marvel heroes, and another did Swamp Thing, who is made not of plants, but of old, worthless, discarded comics. This sounds kind of right up my street, actually. Um, and uh, Benjamin t- uh, chimes in on the uh, email chain at this point, saying that my second choice for weird comic was Mark Martin's truly insane TMNT parody, Green Grey Sponge Suit Sushi Turtles. Now this is like this this kind of subgenre of like indie parodies is like bizarre because TMNT is itself a parody. Like you know, um, Eastman and Laird like ripping off kind of Daredevil and like Batman and like the you know the fact the fact that the Foot Clan is you know just a rip off of the hand you know hand and foot from uh, you know the the hand from Daredevil. It's just the the, the whole thing is the kind of a, a snake eating its own tail. You know, parodies of parodies. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Those are super weird, um, and they're the kind of stuff as well that you don't, you know, you're not potentially going to get them digitally. You're not going to get them remastered and released in hardback. You know, these are things that are kind of almost lost to the sands of time a little bit. So they're going to be kind of comics that are worth keeping on to, worth kind of revisiting um, and looking back on things like that. And yeah, Nicholas also touches on the idea of there being this kind of speculator bust. Uh, this bubble burst that was before the big one in the 90s yeah there was there was a couple i think 
because I think it was just this this period where this you know this burgeoning format, this burgeoning genre of uh, not a genre but this burgeoning medium uh, was kind of you know going up and down, and like it had these huge huge hits like X Men and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, was a massive massive thing. Um, and you know it breeds these kind of rip-offs and parodies but also it breeds these you know these these this more this world of creativity and, and that's gonna you know it's gonna rise and fall and unfortunately kind of speculators at the time are like oh yeah this is going to be worth millions this is going to put my kid through college of course i'm going to buy 50 copies of x-men number one uh, because yeah i'm never going to have to work another day in my life you know stuff like that but it's it's weird but yeah those those kind of comics are worth holding on to so yeah nicholas uh, thank you very much for that that's awesome apologies for the fact that i'm losing my voice by the way um i've been at work all day and um my voice is kind of shut um but i'm going to keep going i'm going to keep going because there's loads and i'm very excited um elias rosner has uh, messaged in saying the weirdest i've got has to be either the evil tree which is an indie horror book about well an evil tree uh, i read issue one was free and mary shelley's frankenberry which is a small parody zine i got at spx that's frankenberry's ad as if it were in the actual style of the book um or peak 90s namor the submariner the J lee drawn issues now that last one i remember distinctly those um J lee drawn submariner issues or rather i remember the uh, marvel knights um grant morrison um scripted fantastic four miniseries it's the only fantastic four work that grant morrison did um, or has done so far um he's not dead and um it was one two three four it was called and it was drawn by Jay lee and it's so um evocative kind of so bizarre like there's a moment where namor shows up on the doorstep and uh, Jay lee draws him as this you know this Adonis basically he's this kind of god that stood there in front and Susan Storm opens the door and the first thing she says is I'm a married woman you know and it's it's this weird kind of um it's this weird kind of hyper intense hyper dark hyper sexualized kind of scene really um and uh, that's kind of stuck with me but um but yeah Jay Lee's art in that and name all the submariner um they work for that the other ones you talk about the evil tree which is an indie horror book about an evil tree i mean that sounds awesome and mary shelley's frankenberry now we um wes talked about this earlier but he he has um a weird collection um you know his entire collection's weird um of uh comics that are you know kind of uh, advertising comics like he has like supergirl honda issues um and it made me think the you know mary shelley's frankenberry made me think of the um kfc um comics that have been coming out the last few years from dc which are superb um absolutely love them um genuinely unironically enjoy them um as well so like if you're thinking i'm just kind of being like kind of oh matt is rolling with this kind of meme no yeah, I mean, rolling rolling with a meme is, you know, obviously what the kids say. Um, but also, no, I don't... Um, I, I genuinely love them. Uh, I think they're brilliant. Um, Mary Shelley's Frankenberry, though, I'm going to have to uh, dig out and have a look. Now, Nicholas Palmieri um, goes on with a second choice that I am obsessed with. This... Um, this option for his weirdest comic character i can't believe that this is the second his second pick um after what he's uh, after what he passed before which uh, if you don't remember was uh, the boris the bear dark horse books in the mid 80s the tmnt ripoffs um he also puts that in his collection um, he says, actually, I have something much better than Boris the Bear. It's a slam book. It's a composition notebook covered with magazine clippings that cop- 
who had got passed between two middle school girls as a way to pass notes in and out of class. Throughout the course of the book, the girls gradually realise that they like the same guy and their friendship gets torn apart. It ends with one girl offering an olive branch for them to go see the Lizzie and Maguire movie together. I have no idea where it came from or how it came into my possession. I found the girls on Facebook, but we have no mutual friends. I share it with I shelve it with my graphic novels because it is a piece of graphic literature. And he shared two pages, um, or he shared two images. One is the front cover which is um, clipped out um, words from kind of what look like teen girl magazines and they're kind of all all over the place um, and the second is, the second image is a page from inside this book um, and it's I, I love this I want to read this I want this to be a real like uh, published book you know I want um, I love the idea of this um, you know to this is a real book you know this is a real slam book that two girls two real girls that he's found on Facebook sent to each other like uh, how he's ended up with this I have no idea um, but the the fact that it's you know and you, it tells this story like kind of weirdly tells a story about two girls that like the same boy and their friendship gets torn apart like that's kind of that's gripping fiction you know except it's not it's real it's fact um, and I love it I think it's I, I want to read it I want to pick it up I want to go through all of it um, I want to see these girls lives kind of you know form and fall apart and rise and fall of uh, you know an epic friendship um, I want to read that and I want that I wish you know that's that's an awesome idea for an actual for a graphic novel why has no one done that in this kind of like meta meta story this meta reality of, of um, you know of two of two unreliable narrators kind of arguing with each other it's, it sounds brilliant but um, but yeah it's a it's a real book and yeah I think put it with your graphic literature like it is it is a it's a piece of you know entertainment for you at the end of the day like the girls are would probably you know not even remember doing it or if they do remember it wonder where it's gone it's just a part of their lives you know wonder if they still speak to each other you know the fact that they're real girls means you can kind of get a real life sequel if you wanted to you could find out what they're up to where they're going and stuff um, but yeah no that's that sounds brilliant uh, nick that is that's a winner for me so far um, but it does get crazier um and it uh, kind of gets extremely crazier with john shadler's post but i'm going to end with that one um because that is my big build-up so uh, drum more for that, but not yet. Not don't drum me all yet because I'm 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 not done. Um, Greg Elner um, has sent in one. Says grizzly shark versus sea bear would be my weirdest. And I mean, if you're gonna have a weird book, that sounds as weird as any. It sounds like a sci-fi original TV movie. So um, so yeah, definitely grizzly shark versus sea bear. Well, you know why not? Um, Elias Rosner uh, chips back in to say, I forgot. I also have a copy of Protectors number five. Uh, it's a Malibu comic with a bullet hole made using a hole puncher most likely in the centre. Now some other people commented on the email thread saying that they believed it was a real bullet hole, uh, that it actually was a um there it was a um a comic that actually had a real bullet hole in it uh, and i looked it up uh, i can't seem to see um whether it was actually a real bullet hole or not um but um it has a bullet hole through the entire issue as gimmicks go it's an interesting one uh, but problematic from the very first page so this bullet hole rips all the way through the magazine so it's not just through the cover it goes all the way through the comic and looking at it to be fair it does look like a hole punch um, so I'm probably not going to think that it's a real bullet hole however um, the 
it's problematic. I, this is a review that I'm reading on Majorspoilers.com from 2012, which was one of the options that came up when I Googled it. Um, as gimmicks go, it's an interesting one, but problematic from the very first page as the art of the comic book wasn't created expecting a big old hole in the middle of the issue. As we see as the heroes and the villains of books have their respective pep rallies of good and evil. The be careful out there line, uh, homage to history. Yeah, so... The, the bullet holes through the issue but there's no the art doesn't go around it or anything like that it doesn't kind of shine a light on it looking at the images that it shares it just actually looks like someone has punched a hole through the middle of a comic so it's almost kind of like a lost opportunity uh, in a way which is a shame um, but anyway as I mean it's that's a crazy 90s gimmick if anyone if, if there ever was one so um, Elias that's awesome thank you um, Rowan Grover um, uh, another writer for Multiversity says uh, a while ago I ordered the fourth collection of Casey Green's webcomic gun show called Rad Tats I asked for a sketch of one of his characters Cool Frog giving me some good life advice what came was a picture of Cool Frog sitting quite sadly on a log saying I just don't know anymore Rowan maybe you should ask your dad I mean that. It, I mean that's that's good advice. And uh, Rowan has put, I still treasure it. I would too. I, I love personalised stuff, and that's why I love the comic book community as well because they're always so um, you know uh, it's such a small world, you know, and so you're much more likely to get a personalised thing like that. And uh, and yeah, it's weird to have a uh, a frog that self-identifies as cool, um, telling you um, that he just doesn't know, and you should ask your dad. Um, so yeah, maybe you asked for that, Rowan. Maybe you did ask for you know if you're going to get asked for life advice from a cool frog maybe that's the best you're going to get um now the um what technically my favorite because i do think it counts as the weirdest issue on this list but my my winner has to go to nick palmieri's um slam book um from these two high school girls uh, however this one does top it by being so very bizarre i'm not surprised in the slightest that this exists um, but um, the fact that John, much like uh, Mark Tweed from earlier, um, very short and sweet with what he says, um, but um, he has just put it's the weirdest comic book in my collection, it has to be this. And he's just shared a photo, which is the front cover to the comic, and it is um, the O.J. Simpson story. He said, she said, comics presents the O.J. Simpson story, which, again, doesn't surprise me that there's a comic out there. When we've currently got comics on the stands, which are like My Hero Magadamia, which is all about, like, Make America Great Again and, like, the, um, the Incredible Trump and stuff like that, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that there are... Um, comics that, shall we say, um, reflect a different political opinion to my own. However, this one is like especially weird because the the blurb on the front of the book is he said she said comics presents the O.J. Simpson story, and in the bottom left hand corner it is the case for the defence. So it's like this is a comic book that is looking to defend O.J. Simpson. Um, and tell the you know tell his side of the story which you know there was a fair trial so we're all you know everyone deserves their own uh, opinion to be heard but it's a very weird choice for a comic book um now i looked up he said she's a comics and apparently this is kind of something they do um so i i imagine like it loses a little bit of its luster when you look up he said she's a comics and you realize that they've got um comics about tonya harding and um bill clinton and um and just like kind of they seem a bit um 
Woody Allen they've got one on and yeah so it seems like they're kind of they're releasing these um, scandal driven stories that are probably you know the the most scandal they've got is on the on the front cover just to get you to buy it kind of like the tabloid of comics a little bit um, however it still is a very weird comic um, to have in your collection uh, John Shadler I'm not saying that I judge you um, but I, I do love you a little less um, but no thank you uh, so much uh, for everyone from Multiversity Comics uh, for sharing all these um, I'm going to put up um, these um, the kind of transcript if you will of all their choices um, up on the show notes so you can uh, read along to these um, these options see the pictures in context see the photos of uh, these comic books uh, that are the weirdest comic books from people's collections um, and so one last thing before we go is I'm going to tell you the weirdest comic book in my collection um, now a few years ago I went to uh, Brighton and I uh, used to go to a uh, music festival down there called the Great Escape Festival um, and when I went there, I went to uh, Dave's Comics in Brighton, which is an awesome comic book shop, and picked up a little kind of self-published, um, little square of a self-published book, and it's called Zombies in Brighton. And I thought, well, you know what? I am in Brighton. I love zombies, so why don't I just give this a go? And it turns out it is a choose-your-own-adventure zombie story set in Brighton. Now, uh, it is written, uh, words and images, by Ben Bailey, um, and published by the thelovelybrothers.com. It was £2.50 from Dave's Comics. Um, and I love Choose Your Own Adventure stories. They're like my favourite of my, you know, the all-time favourite adventure stories. Um, and uh, it's awesome. It's really good. The only thing I would say about it is it's very specific to Brighton. So if you live in Brighton or you went to uh, uni or college in Brighton, um, you would get much more of a kick out of it because um, the first page has got a picture of zombies um, outside a um, shopping centre. And it says, imagine if Brighton was overrun by hordes of rabid zombies. What would you do? Luckily, these are the classical variety, i.e. the stumbling, groaning type. So you've got a few seconds to make up your mind. Will you run to Weston's Gun Shop on East Street? Turn to page six. Make your way to the level in search of some flammable juggling equipment? Turn to page nine. Or head to Infinity Foods in the hope that you'll be safe from the flesh-hungry walking corpses if you surround yourself with enough vegans? Turn to page 17. So already, I'm hooked. This is, you know, I love Choose Your Own Adventures. I'm going to follow this trail um, however I think I'd get more of a kick out of it if I knew any of those places so they must all be real places in Brighton so if you do live in Brighton let me know if they're real places or not um, so I think I would get more of a kick out of it if I did know what those places were however um, it's still a really weird kind of comic um, it's certainly the weirdest thing in my collection when I went uh, when me and Wes decided on this topic um, for this uh, episode I went through my collection and found that my kind of collection was pretty boring pretty bland i'm sure i do have some very weird issues in the back of long boxes somewhere but they're never going to be anything half as weird as some of the stuff that multiversity um multiversity staff have sent me nowhere near as weird as wes's comics an average comic in wes's collection is weirder than than 10 of my normal comics um so 
Um, so yeah, that's that's it for this issue, uh, this episode of That's the Issue. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the uh, episode that I wanted to bring you. Uh, I would have loved to have had Wes on board all the way through this uh, this episode uh, because it feels a little bit uh, bland when it's just me talking because I hear myself talking all the time. So apologies for having to listen to my voice uh, for the last half an hour of this podcast. Um, we will be back next month. We are now on the third Friday of every month on um, multiversitycomics.com. Uh, head there if you want to see um, reviews, opinions, um, kind of um, think pieces, news, previews, exclusive previews of comics that we get, uh, interviews with awesome creators, uh, and also loads of awesome podcasts. You know, we're part of the Multiversity uh, Comics Podcast Network now, which has got some awesome podcasts like the DC3 Cast, which is a weekly podcast that goes through every single DC Comics issue uh, that's out there. There's Robots from Tomorrow, which is twice a week um and uh, they you know discuss everything from the the um pull list every week so what comics are the ones you should be reading um to the previews catalog once a month as well um there's also um the manga multiversity uh, multiversity manga uh, podcast there's the uh, marvel uh, podcast that we've got going on uh, there's also comic syllabus uh, which is our sister podcast um that paul lie does um, and very soon we're going to have the um, Motherbox podcast as well, which me and Paul are going to be doing. Um, for those of you that are asking, I promise you it, it is coming out soon. Uh, me and Paul have got to put our heads together and find a way to actually schedule um, these ish- these uh, chats that we're going to have so that we can keep a consistent schedule when we do finally go live. So bear with us, please, for that. Um, but yeah, that's going to be our Jack Kirby's New Gods-focused podcast. Uh, you can already find uh, the pilot episode for that split across mine and Paul's shows. Um, for me, it's the last episode um, of That's the Issue, so episode 9 of That's the Issue. Go back and listen to that episode from last month. Um, and for Paul, it was uh, it was two, three weeks ago now when he um, released his uh, his episode so go back and on the comic syllabus feed and you can find that there as well um but anyway that's it for me if you want to get in touch with the show uh, you can reach out at that's the issue on twitter or you can send us an email uh, that's the issue podcast at gmail.com uh, i am at matt loon that's m-a-t-t-l-u-n-e on twitter and wes is at geek who landed uh, Wes has just started writing again for his website, geekulanded.com. Uh, he started doing um, a new article series that I really recommend you go and read. Um, uh, it's really fascinating. It's interesting stuff. I love Wes's writing. Um, I love Wes as a co-host um, and uh, because he just has this really unique and offbeat brand of humour that I um, just makes me smile from ear to ear. Uh, and his writing reflects his personality, which is uh, which is one of the joys of reading his work. Uh, so go over to geekwholanded.com and check out uh, his latest piece as well as some of his older writing as well. Uh, and as for us, you will find us this time next month. Look out on Twitter and on um on, on multiversitycomics.com uh, and you'll be able to find out what the theme for next month's episode is going to be. Uh, we haven't decided what it is, is yet but um, once we've decided what's the what the theme will be we'll be reaching out to you on Twitter um, and um, please subscribe to the show and comment and um, leave us a review on uh, on Apple Podcasts um, and send us those tweets, send us replies. What is your what is the weirdest comic in your comic book collection? Um, and uh, we'll read them out in the show next episode. Uh, but that's it for us. Thank you very much and we'll see you soon. Goodbye.